This podcast is a series of one-on-one interviews with a handful of artists behind the program of Bleach Festival 2018 and Bleach at Festival 2018, part of the Gold Coast 2018 Commonwealth Games. Bleach Festival is the Gold Coast's signature arts and cultural festival. In 2018, the festival program focuses on a theme of intimate encounters and invitation. Invitation to experience local and international performances. Invitation to explore the Gold Coast. And an invitation to get to know the artists. We hope you enjoy this special series. Kyle, Finglehead is your home and has been for generations in your family. How important is a sense of place to you in terms of your identity? The land is uh, is the centre of identity for Aboriginal people. So at the, it's at the heart of our whole cultural framework. So that's, we say um, jagun in our language. So that's the beginning of everything for us. And everything comes out of that. Our language and our law, our ceremony, it all comes from the land. And how much of your spirituality is connected to your home turf? Well, Fingal, we can go back generations to our, you know, our great, great, great grandmothers, and that's her country, and and then before that, our, our tribal ancestors have been in that same place for, you know, thousands of years. We sing songs that tell of times before the sea level rose to the level it is now, you know, and so it's been a it's a long time, different kind of perspective on time. And even the, you know, the, around the place, the mountains and the whole geography of this place and our people have been singing the songs and telling the stories of this place for a long time, generations. We say Guriabu in, in our language. And those songs are the living history, aren't they? That's how we transfer information. So we share knowledge. We had no written language and the song and the story and the dance is the way we transfer that knowledge through generations and... That's why it's important to keep it maintained and continue to do it. Kyle, you identify yourself as a Christian. I'm curious to know how you reconcile the spiritual beliefs of your ancestral heritage with the beliefs of Christianity. How does that work for you? Maybe my calling myself a Christian is not like... Um, I might get confused with the term of Western Christianity, I think. Well, how do you define it then? How does that fit within you and, and your own beliefs? Uh, we say... Um, in our spiritual belief, the earth is our mother and there's a creative spirit that's part of the life force of all of us. And for us, in our language, we don't really describe it as the same as Western uh, religion does, but we call a, we talk about Ngavangali and Mamang and Balagwan. They're spiritual entities that, with the, in relationship with the earth, mother, have created humanity. So that's how we understand that we fit in that. Um, it's a bit different concept to Western religion and so I suppose you know, the easiest way to interpret that is through Christianity for a lot of Aboriginal people. And the mission's influence was probably the first language that we had to be able to express that for people to understand it. That's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Even if it's not Christianity in the way that most Western people do, can, can that still be reconciled with the traditional beliefs of Indigenous people, do you think? Yeah, I, think, I don't think they're different. I think they're the same. That earth mother and the creative spiritual force, whatever form that takes for Aboriginal people in different, under different law systems that can take the form of lots of different entities. So for us as Bunjilang, Yogara is the, is the Gawena and that's the form that that takes for us. So that's how we understand that. So for, for me, I don't 
it's not a one or the other one. They're the same thing. One of your passions as a cultural educator involves working with our Indigenous youth. For those who've had troubled lives, how crucial is it for them to have a deeper understanding of their heritage in finding contentment in their lives? I've probably asked thousands of Aboriginal people, and especially young people, what's the most important thing to them? And it's a question that I'm interested for lots of people, you know, like, what is the most important to something that you can ask yourself? What's the priority for you in your life? And and some people have big goals. Some people just want health and happiness. Some people have big dreams of things they want to create or contribute to. For Aboriginal people, it always comes back the same answer. What's most important to them is their identity and belonging and who we are and how we fit into our collective group or our relationship to land, our place, our country is always the most important thing. Um, for Aboriginal people that have been moved off their land or disconnected from their cultural identity and their cultural education, that's essential to understand, have some cultural connection and, and a, have a framework and a philosophy that supports that. But from a youthful perspective, that's not always so easy to do. You, uh, as we know, you go through your teenage years, they can be very troubled times, you know, hormones are raging, you're, you're forming your, your own views of the world. But if you also feel a disconnect with your cultural heritage, how do you address that with them? Because it's, it's Indigenous youth that you're primarily working with, right? Yeah, the first thing is, is go back to that cultural framework, the land at the heart of that cultural framework, and then understanding who you are in that, within that frame, in that cultural frame. I think that's, um, that's the first thing. And then from that, there's lots of other things. You know, cultural practice, I think, is important to maintain. And, you know, we can ask the same question from of every tribal group. You know, we're Gujingbara clan, and we got asked the question by our elders, who are we going to be in another 200 years? Because we're, we're a bit different than we were 200 years ago, but... But what makes us who we are? And that's the critical question to ask ourselves. And what do you think the answer is to that? What do Indigenous Australians really want to be in 200 years? Well, if we don't understand our cultural framework and our identity, then we'll just be brown Australians, I think. Whatever an Australian will be in 200 years. Because historically, people are become different things over different times, dependent on influence. But our culture, the oldest living culture in the world, the frameworks that sustained us as a people to now still exist and so I think we have something that we should, you know, it's very important, it's critical to connect to, to understand who are we as Aboriginal people but then how can we inform who Australia becomes in the next 200 years. It's interesting, as you point out, it is uh, the oldest living culture on the earth and I wonder how you see that culture informing the future for not only this country but the world as we are. We're in a very crucial point in terms of the Earth's history. Mm. How do you see it? We get asked this question all the time from environmental groups and, and to contribute to the conversation, especially these days around climate change and things like that. I think what the Aboriginal community can offer to the rest of the nations is um, understanding the right relationship with the country. Having a right relationship with land is the beginning to make good decisions about how you treat land, what your relationship is to it. You know, is the land an entity, a living entity to you, or is it a commodity? That makes a big difference how you'll treat the land. What's all right to do and what's all right to not do? What resources will you take and what won't you take? How do you interact and how do you engage with land? 
and understanding that getting that relationship right first is um, I think the most valuable thing we can contribute to the conversation, the current conversation. And you know, cultural intelligence and the wisdom of ancient cultures, I think, is essential for sustainability for every country and for the global community to understand that and have the capacity to be able to integrate that into different society and different cultural frameworks and systems. That's a hard philosophy to implement when you look at the way the world operates. It's very much about uh, profit. It's about uh, consumerism. And that's very much at odds with the kind of uh, philosophy that you're, you're talking about here. So in your mind, how do we address that or how do we redress that as it stands now to make that change? Education, I think. And, even, and that comes in every sector and every form through the arts and through what we're doing through music. The songs that, we're, that we developed for this project, they're traditional songs that we've been singing for generations and then integrating them with musical expression from some of the best contemporary musicians in the world, you know, and getting together to talk about that. But through that music, I think, hopefully, you know, we, we can take people to that place where we come from. We can educate people about what our philosophies are and, and actually, it's actually sharing that, those ideas and those expressions through music and, and for people to able to hear it and be um, immersed in that and then respond to that in whatever way they feel that they can. How can they engage with those ideas? You know, music's always been that part. The arts, in the whole arts sector, has always been a voice for Aboriginal people and lots of other people to be able to put forward ideas and ideals and philosophies that might be bit counter-cultural in the time and I, and I hope that through the music and you know we we developed a lot of those songs and then we sat down we played them for the elders and one of the things that was in the back of my mind was how far can we go away from our traditional expression before we start to lose what that expression is because that expression for our traditional music and song and dance is about singing the land we sing the story of the land we sing the heart of the land we dance that story when we, you know, we're looking at different contemporary expressions, how much can we add or how much can we go away before we lose that? And um, the elders, our elders really, when we played the music for them, they said, that was one of the first things, they said, you can hear the land in that music. And so that's something that was really important for us to make sure that we captured that. And, yes. and, and we did that, you know. And I think that's one, music is a big, important vehicle for any message. Would you say that mainstream culture, uh, particularly in this country, there's been a massive shift in terms of not only uh, acceptance of Indigenous culture but understanding of it and a greater empathy? Oh, I think we're in better time than I've ever seen. Like in, from my old people and as far as relationships between different cultural groups in, in this country, I think as Aboriginal people there's more openness than there's ever been and, and I think acceptance of different ideas across the globe. I think, you know, dominant cultures are realising and making space for minority voices and groups now. And uh, for, for Aboriginal people, that's been a really good thing for us in the communities and understanding that. I think it's going to be important to understand how, what contribution we can make to society. In our understanding of relationship as Aboriginal people, there's a framework that guides that for us. And one element is respect. It has to go both ways, but then there has to be contribution both ways. 
And there's lots of ways to work that out, you know, on all different levels of society, on all different cultural planes. And I think the intention is as good as it's ever been. And the opportunities are more than they've been, but how we action that and how we implement and execute some of the actions out of those intentions, that'll determine where we are in the future. I think, you know, future generations and for Aboriginal people, we've got more opportunity than we've ever have to be involved in broader society. But I don't think we can take those opportunities as, as all good. I think we have to be careful about what expense is it to us to be involved in, in everything, you know? I appreciate educa access to education that we have now that our old, my generation before didn't have opportunities for employment, engagement in lots of different areas, but if that's going to be at the expense of losing connection with our country, our languages, our cultural expressions, our cultural practice, then that's something that is critical for our people and we have to really think about. And You know, I'm the last generation that have grown up with people who have had connection with traditionals in our community. So our grandparents lived some of their lives in a traditional context and I grew up with my grandparents. After my generation, my children won't have had that experience. They haven't grown up with traditionals. So now it's, it's a pretty um, critical time. It's an interesting point to be at. What we pass on and what we transfer in this time is going to really set a trajectory for, for generations to come. It's a double-edged sword. Education is the key, as you say, but at, you don't want to lose that at, yeah. at the risk of the loss of your culture. Now, with Bleach Festival this year, the project is telling the story of the spirit of Chirikai, which obviously is a great vehicle for not only passing on message, but also to get the word out about a very important historical figure who's largely unknown. Tell me about Chirikai and your connection with him. Jurakai for us really embodies that conversation what we were just talking about, you know, like he is a, a man that was brought up in a traditional context but contributed to the, you know, the, the society around him at the time. For him, you know, when people start to swim at Coolangatta and down at um, Rainbow Bay and Coolangatta Beach, which in that time was called Shark Bay and Danger Beach, you know, he, his father, Komoi, actually was, uh, was the instigator he said to his son, this, this is our country and we're responsible for people on our country. So go over there and make sure that no more of them drown. You know, there was a few drownings and shark attacks and things and, and the Aboriginal people were concerned about for the welfare of the broader community and felt a responsibility for, as a, a being their country that this was happening on. So he sent Jurukai over to, to watch over the swimmers and he performed, you know, many rescues and uh, in that time and... And that for for us, yeah, that that was a good contribution. And you know, we talk about Churukai now. Even he sounds like a hero. You know, to for people in our community, they've told the story, and Churukai is a hero and is representative. But also, he's actually actioning a cultural principle. As a person from that community or a person that belongs to that land, you have a cultural responsibility to look after people that come into that space. And his father recognised that and, and Jurukai executed it, you know. So I think um, Jurukai really is a symbol of that for us. Can we contribute to mainstream society and maintain our, cultural, uh, our culture and our cultural obligations?
It goes far beyond the symbolism, though, of even being Australia's first lifesaver or even mm. being a hero. When you're talking about responsibility for people on your land and what that says about the much bigger picture, do you see that as a metaphor for a far more harmonious future for all Australians, if not people beyond our own land? Yeah, I, I think so. That's, uh, I see that as that's critical. People talk about, you know, how you should treat other people and, and that kind of thing and like you said before, it depends what's our, but what is our reference for that, you know? Do we treat people different that come from this place or that place or do we treat others better than we treat other people for, for what reason? If we don't have a reference, then we can easily fall into that idea of, you know, race and class and all kinds of things. When the land is the reference point, then um, we have something that's stable and that can inform that decision, you know? If the land's the reference, then people are people wherever they come from. Their relationship with the land and the right relationship is what will determine how we treat one another. Chirikai was such an incredible figure historically from a local perspective, but were you aware of who he was growing up? Were these the stories that were being told or was he largely unknown? Because in the broader context, not many people would have heard of him. No, in, in the community, he was the na- his name was known. His father, Kumai, was a really respected leader and was actually nominated a king by the by the authorities at the time and uh, we didn't have kings but um, he was he was around seven foot tall so he stood out in a crowd and they nominated him and as a king of our clan group but um so he was well known and as a result you know Churukai was known as his son and, and the actions that he performed different people not only the Aboriginal community but the the broader community had interaction with with Churukai and Kumai so that was their you know, some of those, their feats were recorded and, and people talked, in our community, you know, their names were talked about and their story was talked about. You must be really excited that his story is finally going to be told in a very public way so that he will be not only more broadly known but understood. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited on one part. It took us a little while to come to terms with that. Like, he is a real person and, you know, he's is an ancestor of a lot of the people in our community, so... When it came to telling someone else a story, like the spiritual kind of inference and what that carries for us as Indigenous people, him being one of our ancestors and things like that, that was something that we had to really consider. You know, do we really... We're not talking about a mythical story or a, you know, a mythical superhero. It's not... He's not Superman that came from another planet or something. He was a real person who lived in our community and, and people have connection to him and his story so those there's cultural protocols and there's considerations we had to make of that but we yeah overall i'm i am excited that people understand you know the, the contribution that our people have been making for a long time and, and still are making to society and that's probably largely gone unrecognized over years i think that's about to change Kyle, the theme for Bleach this year is invitation. Do you see the spirit of Chirikai as an invitation for people to develop a deeper appreciation of Indigenous culture, not just Chirikai's story, but beyond that? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I, I think sharing music and, and all expressions is that invitation. We come from communities, Aboriginal people, we come from a cultural framework that actually is inclusive and brings people into it. And, and to be able to share that and express that through the spirit of Churikai, I, I think it definitely is an invitation. There's not that many Aboriginal people in the country when you consider the whole population. That's still not a big percentage. If every person 
knew an Aboriginal person and had a real relationship, then I think that that'd go a long way to, um, you know, the the relationships in the country. When you consider that more than 60% of the Australian population hasn't met an Aboriginal person before, that gives you a bit of an idea and a bit of perspective on where we are as a nation. And I think the more that we can um, engage through all different kind of processes, projects and productions, all kinds of things like the Spirit of Churukai, that does extend that invitation. Bleach Festival will run from the 29th of March to the 15th of April 2018. To learn more and find out what's on, visit bleachfestival.com.au or download the festival app.